0: I am J.A. Lovelock, a barrister and an author, but most importantly, a crime junkie. Welcome to my podcast, Behind the Yellow Tape. In this episode of Behind the Yellow Tape, I consider the case of Sarah Chisholm. Sarah Parker, as she was then, was born on the 9th of July, 1809, in Claverham, near Saffron Waldron, in Essex. In July, 1828, At the age of 19, she married Richard Chesham. Being pregnant at the time, she gave birth to a daughter Harriet on the 8th of February 1829. Over the next 10 years, Sarah had a further five children, all boys. Philip in 1830, John in 1832, Joseph in 1834, James in 1837 and George, ...who was born in 1839. They weren't a rich family. With all these six children and Richard's job as a farm labourer... ...money was certainly tight in the Chesham household, it's fair to say. In January 1845, two of the boys, Joseph, who was 11... ...and James, who was 8, became ill... ...with vomiting and severe stomach pains... The doctor was called. A Dr Hawkes attended upon the sick boys. They were beyond saving. They died soon thereafter. Dr Hawkes issued a death certificate stating the reason for death as English cholera, which we might call gastric flu or food poisoning today. English cholera was a very common disease in the 1840s. So it would appear nothing untoward happened here. That is, no suspicious thinking against Sarah. And the boys were buried accordingly, together, in the Clavering churchyard. But before long, gossip began to circulate in the Clavering village and the authorities began to take notice after the death of another child 18 months later. Here comes Lydia Taylor. Now, Lydia Taylor lived in the nearby village of Morden. She was the mother of an illegitimate child. She came before the magistrates at Newport to say that Sarah Chesham had come to visit her during her confinement after she'd given birth to her son Solomon. And Sarah had had certain conversations with her. Whatever those conversations were, no one is entirely sure. But what we do know is that baby Solomon, who was born healthy, suddenly started to fall ill and subsequently died. Lydia Taylor told the magistrate's court that it was Sarah Chesham who had killed him. On this basis, Sarah was sent for trial In addition, the bodies of her sons Joseph and James were exhumed, after which their stomach contents were analysed. They were poisoned. On the 11th of March 1847, Sarah was tried for the murder of her sons Joseph and James. Evidence was heard that there was sufficient arsenic in Joseph's stomach to kill him. You would think that spelled the death sentence for Sarah, but not so. She was acquitted. The jury took just ten minutes to acquit her of Joseph's death. Reason being, there was no proof that she had administered the poison. Now listen, some people have been hung for less than that, so she was very lucky. But it wasn't over yet for Sarah. She had the trial of James the very next day. A new trial, new jury. Even though arsenic was found in his stomach, Sarah was again acquitted. She was a very lucky lady. Then she was tried for the death of Solomon Taylor, and again she was acquitted. Reason being? Lack of evidence. Lack of evidence of poison in Solomon's stomach. The kindly judge directed that Sarah should be acquitted. Third time lucky, surely. You would think that after all that drama, Sarah Chesham would settle down to a drama-free village life with her husband Richard and her remaining children. But not so. Firstly, the acquittals were not well received in the local community. And even the Times, that great British newspaper commented that Sarah was, and I quote, an accepted and reputed murderess who walked abroad in a village unchallenged and unaccused. They also called Sarah a murderer for hire. As the local folks were clearly convinced that Sarah had murdered all the children she was accused of, regardless of what the law had said, they had a name for her. They called her Sally Arsenic. So Sarah had not settled down to a drama-free life after all. To make matters worse, her husband Richard Chesham died in May 1850, aged 43. That's young, yes, but Richard had been suffering ill health for some time and in the previous year before his death he suffered lung disease as well as various bouts of severe stomach pain and sickness. Even though Richard was generally ailing in health, the local police were suspicious and so they ordered an autopsy on him. The autopsy revealed traces of arsenic in Richard's stomach. Sarah was arrested, not surprisingly. After her arrest, her house was searched by the Newport police. A bag of rice, along with Richard's stomach contents, were sent to Dr. Taylor at Guy's Hospital in London to be analysed. Both the bag of rice and the stomach contents were found to be laced with arsenic. The police clearly had their sights set on convicting Sarah now. And they were further helped by Hannah Phillips, who was once a friend of Sarah's. Hannah told the police that she had had a conversation with Sarah about Hannah's own unhappy marriage and that Sarah had suggested how Hannah could end it by the use of arsenic. It's March 1851. Sarah is now 41 years old and she finds herself in court again, facing a murder trial. There were a fine set of solicitors who appeared for the prosecution. Then there was the court-appointed lawyer for Sarah. Sarah was charged with feloniously administering poison to her husband Richard with intent to kill him. Dr. Hawes gave evidence that Sarah had fed Richard with rice and thickened the milk, presumably, laced with poison. It also emerged that Sarah would not allow anyone else to feed Richard during his illness. Sarah could only put up a weak defence. She made such a long and rambling statement that did not argue the points against her, and that did not impress the jury. So, not impressed, they took little time in convicting her. And, as is the case in a murder conviction, the death sentence is passed. The judge, Mr. Justice Campbell, seemed to have difficulty passing it. However, he gathered himself enough to tell Sarah that he agreed with the jury's verdict and she would face the gallows. On the 24th of March 1851, the gallows were erected on the flat roof of the gatehouse of Chelmsford Springfield Prison. This made no difference to Sarah protesting her innocence to the last. And the very next day, on Tuesday the 25th of March, by 9.30am, the deed was done. Watched by an audience of up to 7,000 people. As was the custom, Sarah was left hanging for one hour before she was cut down. The Lord then required murderers to be buried within the confines of the prison. But because Sarah was convicted of administering poison with intent rather than committing the act of murder itself, her body was allowed to be taken by her son for burial at their village home of Clavering. There was no religious ceremony as Sarah was laid in her grave at seven o'clock that evening. Now here's the thing. Sarah was not convicted of murder, which of course carried a death penalty. Instead, she was convicted of intent to murder. This may come as a surprise to many of us today, but back then in the 1840s, even the intent to kill could and would cost the accused their lives. But based on what we've heard in this case, should Sarah Chesham have been convicted, let alone hanged for the death of her husband Richard Chesham? Let's look at a few things. Alfred Swain Taylor, a forensic scientist of his day, a very famous forensic scientist of his day, carried out the examinations on both of Sarah's dead sons, Joseph and James. He found yellow arsenic in their stomachs. This meant that they swallowed white arsenic. Now, white arsenic was easy to buy back then. The body releases sulphur as it is decomposing, and this sulphur, when blended with white arsenic, turns it into yellow arsenic. However, even though Alfred Taylor's results and interpretation of the yellow arsenic found in the dead boy's body, his tests could not prove how the boys got the arsenic into their system in the first place. And even when Alfred Taylor analysed Solomon Taylor's remains, he could not find any sign of arsenic poisoning. And it was those facts that probably saved Sarah's neck from the hangman's noose. Now we turn to Richard's death. There was no actual proof of how a tiny amount of arsenic entered Richard's body, nor how the bag of rice taken from Sarah's home found to have a huge amount of arsenic in it. The truth is, no one saw Sarah administer poison to Richard, and there was no proof that he actually died from being poisoned by arsenic. What Sarah didn't know was that for several months, the police were carrying out a secret investigation into Richard's death. They were looking for evidence. Evidence that would prove that Richard had died at the hands of another, that being Sarah. The eminent Alfred Taylor, the forensic scientist, who examined Richard's remains, concluded that the small amount of arsenic he found would not have killed him and therefore would not warrant a charge of murder. And the matter of the vast amount of arsenic found in the bag of rice? Arsenic is a natural feature occurring in rice. Well, I did know that, and I eat a fair amount of rice myself. And why would Sarah put arsenic into the bag of rice? Did she want to kill off all her family, including her children? Even if Sarah was found guilty of intent to kill, as she was, the stiffest punishment the criminal justice system could have handed out to her in 1847 was life imprisonment or being transported to Australia for life. But sadly for Sarah, those options were not afforded to her, and there could have been. It didn't help Sarah's case when the presiding judge said that he believed Sarah had killed before and unless she was executed, mankind would not be safe, notwithstanding the fact that she was acquitted of all previous murder charges. And so it was that in 1851, Sarah Chesham was the last woman in England and Wales to be executed for attempted murder To the end Sarah believed her conviction was based on spite and revenge And could she be right about that? You decide Thanks for listening I am J.A. Lovelock Join us next time as we go behind the yellow tape and catch up with more episodes at btytpodcast.com. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I don't know, you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. US Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood and at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wuderick. And me. Murder in House 2, a new podcast from Crowd Network.